From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. This past weekend saw one season end while another was taken to the brink, with softball bowing out of the Women's College World Series at the same time that baseball was braving the weather and a couple of in-state foes ready to take out the top seed. On today's show, we'll start by hearing the unlikely success story of baseball's overnight sensation, Jonah Durand. Also, we'll go in-depth on Super Regionals, the MLB Draft, a tough finish for softball, a new contract for Tim Walton, a change in leadership for the swim programs, and the worst blown calls in sports with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. But first, sometimes it's the people you least expect to step up that prove to be the biggest difference makers, and that was certainly the case for baseball this past weekend. With J.J. Schwartz still sidelined, walk-on Jonah Duran was given the starting catcher role and didn't disappoint, producing a spectacular weekend that saw him trending on Twitter. We wanted to delve into Duran's fascinating backstory and began by discussing how the Gators managed to survive and advance through regionals. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was a tough weekend, um, you know, especially having to wait, wait around uh, due to the weather. And really, really, it was sort of a collective effort. You know, we kind of stumbled through, uh, you know, game to game. Um, but you know, a lot of the older guys, I would say, uh, really stepped up, pulled everyone together, rallied, you know, the team, uh, through, you know, the adversity that we were facing over the weekend. You had some really tough games getting through regionals, even going to that final, if necessary game against FAU. You always hear in the tournament survive in advance when you're in it. How much of that mantra do you really have to own when maybe the game you just played didn't go as well as you hoped, you didn't do what you wanted to do, but you've got another one that's just as important coming up, you know, maybe an hour later? You know, I mean, you always try to focus on, you know, the game at hand um, and you try not to focus on the next one. You know, it's, that's really hard to do, especially when you're, you know, losing, you know, the first game to FAU. Um, you know, you try not to, to think about losing that one. Uh, but I think at some point you have to then sort of look to the next one, you know, realize that you're going to wind up playing a second game, uh, you know, that day. Uh, and then when that game ends, you know, you, you have to do your best to, to shake it off and, and move forward. You mentioned some of the, the delays, and that was a big part of the weekend. Uh, heck, that's a big part of seemingly every Gainesville regional year in, year out. What do you do to pass that time? Are you guys playing games? What, what's the, the preferred method of getting through these ridiculous delays? Oh gosh. I mean, everyone's doing something, you know, I think, uh, we spent about eight hours in there the other day, you know, and then like three or four hours in there yesterday. So, you know, you got guys watching movies, you got guys playing ping pong. You, I think, uh, somebody brought in some board games or playing family feud, the board game in the training room. So yeah, you got guys, guys all over doing different things, just trying, trying to pass the time. When the games were played, it actually was a really good weekend for you. And as someone who didn't have a chance to play much all year, and then you're thrust into a starting position, and then you hit your first three career homers, what was this weekend like for you personally? Well, you know, personally, I mean, it's it's been a pretty pretty great weekend. You know, um, I mean, I was just 
absolutely pumped to go out there and be able to contribute to the team and, and just to be able to play. Um, you know, and then obviously the three home runs is, is a definite uh, bonus. But yeah, I was just absolutely thrilled to, to be able to go out there and, and play. Now, your path to being on the field at the MAC is a very interesting one. I want to start at the beginning. Can you tell us about where you're from and a little bit about your family? Yeah, so uh, I'm from uh, Winter Park, Florida, you know, and uh, we've been there for about 14 years. And then my senior year, I graduated from Edgewater High School. Uh, and then after that, went to uh, Santa Fe, played there, you know, went there uh, one entire, you know, year. And after that, I uh, took a year off uh, from school and baseball, which was, you know, pretty tough. Uh, but I got a job, you know, I worked. And then in addition to that, I just kind of on my own uh, would train and, and hit and throw and all that stuff, trying to prepare myself to get back into uh, the game. And then after that, I went to uh, Seminole State Community College and uh, had a great experience there. Did, you know, did okay, did pretty well. Uh, but it was, a, it was an awesome team awesome coach you know that was good and then you know uh contacted the coaches here at florida you know they've known me since i was younger and basically basically i got into the school you know i came in as a walk-on position you know they said hey well you know if you can get in to the school um on your own then you know we'll have a walk-on position so you know i got my aa i was able to enter the school on my own and then they gave me the walk-on opportunity so I want to rewind a little bit back to the, the Santa Fe portion. When you left Santa Fe and you decided to take that year off, what what was the catalyst for that? And why did you think that was right for you at the time? Yeah, you know, well, I just, I kind of evaluated my level of play and just sort of looked at where I was as a player and, you know, how big I was. And, uh, you know, I just kind of realized <clears throat> I needed to sort of step up my game and, you know, just kind of wanted to look for a school that, you know, was a good fit for me when I decided to come back. So, you know, just sort of needed to train and, you know, get bigger and, you know, better. Outside of the obvious, the training and, and getting bigger and getting better, when you look back on that time now, what are some other aspects of that that you think were most valuable to you, given where you are now? I think the major one was that taking time off for an entire year and not playing really sort of motivated me you know, even more to get back into it and to train that much harder and to, you know, reach out to as many people as I could to try and get back in, you know, it, it just really thrust me into a, into a position of, you know, wanting, you know, to come back and, and sort of fueling the desire to play, to play baseball. What kind of work you said you got a job in your year off? I, I read that uh, Scott Carr did a great article on you. You said that your parents said, well, if you're going to do this, you have to get a job. Well, what did you do during your year off? Yeah, so I, uh, I worked retail. It was like at a uh, place called Restoration Hardware Furniture Place. Basically, it was just like a retail you know, associate there. When you got back into the game and you went to Seminole State, what was that like? I mean, was it really challenging getting back in the swing of both school and being on a team again? Yeah, you know, I was a little worried about getting back into the swing of things. You know, schooling was definitely a, a very difficult aspect for me to sort of jump back into it after taking, you know, an entire year, you know, essentially two semesters off, not doing anything and jumping back into it. Um, it you know, I stumbled a little bit at first with both athletics and academics. And then, you know, not too long, it sort of takes over, you know, what you muscle memory with baseball and, and just sort of, you know, working hard at school and everything. Eventually, everything took back over. But, 
it was a little it was a little difficult at first. So after you came into Seminole State and you get back in the swing, then you look to make that move. And you mentioned a second ago, uh, reaching out to Sully and, and saying you wanted to come in and be a part of the Gator program. But, you know, looking at what you did at Seminole State and previously, obviously, you know, you didn't have huge numbers. So what was your pitch? What did you say to the coaching staff that convinced them that they should bring you into the fold? I mean, I, I, you know, they knew my name. They knew who I was, you know, growing up and everything like that. And um, I knew that they were going to wind up losing uh, basically all of their, their catching staff. You know, J.J. wound up staying, uh, but it was a possibility that they could have lost, you know, all of them. Essentially, you know, I, I reached out, you know, they knew who I was. I was a catcher and I basically just went for a long shot, you know, and, and asked just to be a part of the team at any capacity. And basically that was my goal was to get on and work as hard as I absolutely could, you know, for any opportunity, you know, and then they wound up giving me that opportunity um, in the SEC tournament. So throughout most of the year, when you didn't have a chance to play, what ways did you find to really stand out and provide value as a teammate when you couldn't be on the field? You know, it's, it's tough for any any player, uh, you know, not being on the field because everyone on this team is, is an absolute competitor. And, you know, everyone is just itching to get onto the field and play and contribute. Um, and it's always tough. But I think, you know, myself and along with others just have to sort of uh, you know, keep things up in the dugout, keep things up, you know, off field and, and support, you know, in any way you can. Being a 23 year old junior has its challenges, I'm sure. But flipping that around, what additional perspective and maturity do you think that gives you that helps you in this current role? Yeah, well, I think, you know, sort of comparing myself to like some of these freshmen, you know, and everything like that. I just think that, you know, having the two years of junior college baseball, it sort of really taught me to, to try and slow things down and, and sort of view things from, you know, your other teammates' perspectives and not just your own and really trying to help, you know, other people as much as possible because, you know, the, the more you help your team, the more you wind up helping yourself as well. You know, we all continue to move forward, you know, with the season. So, you know, help your, helping your teammates is something I've definitely learned and picked up and tried to do as much as possible. Are there any individual teammates you can think about that you feel like you've had a really big impact on? Some of the, you know, some of the freshman pitchers, I think, you know, I, I try to help as much as possible, you know, I think with bullpens and, you know, maybe some mechanics and stuff like that, you know, but, you know, a lot of them ask, the, you know, the older pitchers are JJ. So, you know, I, I try and fill in, you know, when I can here and there for advice, but, but those, you know, JJ and the, and the older returning pitchers are, are very good at, you know, also giving advice and, you know, keeping up with those guys too. It's always a challenge, I know, to, to go back to a certain time and place and remember what you were thinking in a given moment. But you're at the SEC tournament and JJ Schwartz gets hurt. How quickly did the switch flip for you that said, oh, wow, I may need to step in in a really big spot here and help my team when I, I imagine you were not expecting that at the time? Yeah, you know, he, he got hurt, you know, and it's never fun to see one of your teammates injured, especially, you know, being a catcher. I know how that, you know, those those things happen, you know, foul balls and everything. It's not sure. fun, but, you know, I figured maybe that there was a possibility that I would go in or, or you know, Smith or, or Cal, but I just sort of mentally prepared just in case, you know, I would get uh, an opportunity to go in. So, you know, I just really sort of mentally prepared as soon as that happened, 
to uh, to go in. And I think that mental preparation helped, you know, instead of sort of staying out of it or thinking, you know, oh, I'll never go in or something like that. So staying out of it, you know, mentally, you may not perform as well without that mental preparation. So I just tried to prepare mentally as much as possible. You've played uh, multiple places across the state of Florida, but a little bit broader than that, you also played in the College European League. So what was that experience like for you? Oh, that was awesome. That was a great experience. Uh, after my uh, senior year of high school, um, I found it online uh, and it looked absolutely incredible. And it, and it was, it was an awesome travel experience. It was an awesome baseball experience. You know, I met kids from all over the world, you know, all over the U.S., you know, different countries abroad. Um, you know, we played in like four different cities uh, over in Europe. And I think now their programs expanded to where they've got multiple different brackets that you can go into and now there are more countries that you can visit now but but when i went it was just the four and still it was it was absolutely incredible to to meet those people and to be a part of that were there any really unique experiences or, or culture clash moments over there that, that have stuck with you yeah you know i just think i was surprised at how how much um you know these people from from these different countries really appreciated you know baseball but you know i can't think of any like real culture clashes going on but they all seem to love baseball just as much as we did you know in the states and it was really great to see that you know baseball has an impact even in these you know other countries that you may not think you know anyone cares about it but but they do and it was it was just really great to see i know at the moment you guys are uh, busy dodging lightning delays rain delays and get ready for supers but outside of that let's say theoretically that you've got some free time off the field what are some things that, that you enjoy doing yeah, you know, going to the beach um, is uh, definitely a big one. You know, they, they've got some pretty great, uh, some natural springs over here in Gainesville, which are awesome to go to. You know, those are pretty popular. So Supers are coming up against Auburn, and you're very familiar with the Tigers. Jody took two or three from them at home earlier this year. What do you take away from that series as you go into this weekend? Yeah, you know, I think I think we just kind of have to... Um, you know, stay focused um, going into this series and really sort of like looking back um, and taking what we can into this next weekend, you know, things that we've done well, you know, in the past and sort of coming up with the, the collective game plan as to how we're going to go into it and really just focusing as much as possible. Do you think there are more advantages or disadvantages to playing an SEC team or any team that you'd be, let's say it was Miami, a team you're super familiar with in this super regional format? Are there more positives or are there more negatives? You know, it's that that's a tough one. I think, you know, there are some some advantages as to, as to knowing the team because, you know, you know, they're pitching, you know, you know, you've got a really great scouting report. You know, I think there are some things of playing, you know, new teams, you know, you're going based off of other people's scouting report. It's sort of a fresh you know, look and, and, you know, you're sort of learning as you go. So nobody's really familiar with each other. I think, I think being familiar with the team though does have some pretty great advantages, you know, in that aspect of, of scouting reports, you know, just previous games played against them. Final question for you, given the journey that you've had, which has been a, a very, a very unique one, what would it mean to go to the college world series? Oh man, that's, you know, that's the ultimate goal right now. That would be incredible to, to be able to go to the College World Series and especially to win the College World Series. So for me and, and especially the rest of the team, you know, that's, that's the ultimate goal and what we're, what we're all focused on right now. 
Well, Jonah, uh, we're, we're so happy for your success, your ability to help out the team, and you have an unbelievable story. We know Gator Nation has been rooting for you. They've been tweeting about you for sure. I, I know that you've seen that all over Twitter. Uh, but uh, we wish you a lot of luck this weekend in whatever capacity you're in, and hopefully you do get out to that College World Series in Omaha. All right. Thank you very much. Baseball and softball had fans on the edge of their seats throughout the weekend, and they also had Scott Carter and Chris Harry going deep into the night to tell those stories once they were finished playing out on the field. So to begin our roundtable chat, we asked Scott to start us off by recapping a wild regional that saw the Gators come out barely alive. There was a look on that team early in that second game late Monday night when FAU took a 2-0 lead there was a sense that maybe this was the end of the season. I mean, that, that's the way it felt inside McKeithen Stadium. And then the Gators, uh, you know, they get the, the big home run from Duran to put them up 3-2, then back-to-back homers from Jonathan India and Will Dalton, and they win 5-2, to two, and now they, they head to the Gainesville Super Regional where they'll host Auburn, a team they, you know, played at McKeithen Stadium a few a few weeks ago. At the end of April, they won 2-3. And really, you look at the NCAA tournament, Adam, and that first game will pitch, uh, what, Casey Mize, the number one overall pick in the draft from Auburn against Brady Singer, number 18 to the Royals. I mean, there won't be a better pitching matchup in the NCAA tournament than what you'll see on Saturday at McKeithen Stadium. It was a big win for the Gators to get out of the regional. Uh, they still have a shot at Omaha and, and defending that national championship. And I, I think the big takeaway besides Obviously, not playing their best and still getting out of that regional is, you know, after Kevin O'Sullivan addressed it, he said basically, look, we're not playing our best ball. We're going to have to be better to beat Auburn. He doesn't want this team to have peaked in April. He's still hoping that they can do a lot of a lot of magic in June, and uh, they're going to have to play better than they did in the, the regional uh, when Auburn comes to town. It would certainly help them play better in that Gainesville Super Regional if they had a healthy J.J. Schwartz. And I know that that's the question that a lot of fans are asking right now, Scott. Uh, what's the answer, or at least the, the best answer, that we can give at the moment? I think questionable is probably the best we have. I mean, Kevin O'Sullivan has basically left that decision to J.J. Schwartz and, and the team's training staff. I mean, it's a, it's a pain tolerance issue. A uh, fracture in his right hand that, you know, he suffered in Mississippi State. And what's his comfort level with being able to, you know, catch a ball, to swing a bat? He wasn't there for the Gainesville Regional. But from O'Sullivan's stance, it seems like he's more optimistic about the potential of him playing in the Super Regional and in Omaha if they get to that point. Uh, but it really is going to come down to, you know, J.J. Schwartz and how he feels and the Gators got a huge lift, obviously, from Duran in the regional. But there's no doubt that having Schwartz in the lineup changes the way that you know opposing teams have to pitch the Gators because you've got India, Dalton, and then usually Schwartz, and then move Langworthy down from five to six. And Schwartz is just invaluable. He's a guy that you just pay attention to in the lineup. You, there's no way around him. He's such an accomplished college hitter. So the Gators certainly are hoping that he'll be available. We'll just have to wait and see. Whether or not he's available this weekend, we know he's one of a bevy of Gators that had their names called in the MLB draft, which, again, oddly enough, was going on during Florida's regional game because of the wacky way that they have this draft set up. But uh, <laughs> as is normally the case with Kevin O'Sullivan, a lot of Gators were high picks. A lot of Gators are going to have the chance to play in the pros. Take us through 
some of those names and where exactly they landed. We'll start at the top with the three first-round picks. Uh, you know, obviously, Jonathan India going overall, number five to the Reds. Uh, a few picks later at number 18, Brady Singer to the Royals. And I think one of the cooler storylines of the draft at number 33, Jackson Coart to the Royals. So you'll have uh, two Gators pitchers, Brady Singer and Jackson Coart, starting the professional careers uh, in the uh, Kansas City Royals organization. And, you know, I'm sure Gator fans, uh, uh, probably uh, the Royals gained a few few fans there from that standpoint. But after that, you know, J.J. Schwartz, I think went in the eighth round to the A's. Michael Byrne went to the Reds in the 14th round. Then you had Deacon Lippett to the Dodgers. Uh, Horvath, I think, was to Orioles. So you know, this is what Kevin O'Sullivan does. I mean, he, when you put out the kind of quality players that he does year in and year out, you're going to have some high-round draft picks. And seeing the balance for these coaches at this time of year between the draft and, and obviously Florida on Monday night, you know, at the time of the draft, they were playing Florida Atlantic. Johnson India said that he learned his uh, selection by the Reds from a fan who yelled out from the stands. And afterward, <laughs> O'Sullivan kind of addressed that. He's for the, the draft and maybe moving it back when these teams aren't playing. So these players can enjoy the night with their families like in all the other drafts. I mean, it's kind of unfortunate that Jonathan Indian, you know, Jackson Kolar, Brady Singer, they were in the dugout or on the field during the draft when they were picked instead of, I guess, enjoying the experience more. Instead, they had a, a, a you know an elimination game on their hands. So I don't know uh, what the situation there in the future is, if that will be changed. But I know Kevin Sullivan would like to see it based on his comments uh, after the game. We've been talking a lot of softball as of late. Unfortunately, that conversation is not going to end with a national championship discussion. Uh, but ultimately, you know, any season that ends in Oklahoma City, Tim Walton says, is a great season. And they finished their season out there, Chris, just not quite the way that they wanted to. No, and um, just when you, when you get out to Oklahoma City, Adam, and obviously you know about this, you're playing the best of the best. And you get out there in the heat and the balls fly. And uh, Florida, not really known as a home run hitting team this year. They hit some home runs, but they hit three in uh, three in the game against uh, UCLA. I believe they hit three in the first game against Georgia. And when it came to that, uh, you know, three against UCLA, and it wasn't enough because they're giving up three home runs. Uh, Kelly Barnhill gave up a couple home runs. Obviously, there was the controversial play at home plate that uh, Gator fans were talking about ad nauseum uh, on social media the next day. The replays, I think, showed that. Uh, Janelle Wheaton had put the tag on the runner. Just a phenomenal play made by Sophia Reynoso to get that on that foul out play right around the wall and to throw that girl out at home, seemingly. Uh, umpire calls are safe. That would have got him out of the inning with a 4-1 lead. Instead, uh, it's 4-2, and the next batter hits a three-run homer, and all of a sudden you go from four being 4-1 up, you thought, being down 5-4. Kelly Barnhill didn't really handle it well um, after that in terms of uh, control or what have you. UCLA got another run. Jordan Roberts hit a pinch pinch hit home run or second in as many nights to make it a 6-5 game, but the Gators couldn't push across runs. And this is a team that's gotten on base a lot, second in the nation in on-base percentage. But going to World Series, they're 61st in the nation in batting average. And ultimately, uh, the inability to get some of those runners home, we saw a little bit of it in the Super Regional against Texas A&M ultimately caught up with them. And then against Paige Parker, the Oklahoma ace uh, in the elimination game, two hits, uh, no runners even as much as reached second base 
uh, a good season ended against a really, really good pitcher. But um, to your point that you said, uh, the, when a season ends in Oklahoma City, you can never you can never say it's been a disappointing season. But at the same time, I think Florida's players Friday night after that UCLA game had that kind of a look about them that something had gotten away. They missed a chance, and and uh, it's it's you think it's going to be difficult to play out of the elimination bracket. Uh, obviously, Florida State did a hell of a job getting out of the elimination bracket like they did losing the first night and getting into that championship series. But uh, Florida wasn't able to do that. But 55-11 and 11 is, uh, is a great season, and um, Tim Walton and those uh, girls are to be uh, congratulated for it. Well, inevitably, the end of a season for a program as dominant as softball leads to the well, will they be back there next year question? And uh, certainly it's a legitimate one to ask with this team because they're losing such a huge core of that team. Uh, but looking at the future, I know you wrote a piece about this on FloridaGators.com. You lose four seniors that are a huge part of the program, but you also have two rising seniors that were finalists for National Player of the Year. You have your SEC Player of the Year in Amanda Lorenz and your SEC Pitcher of the Year in Kelly Barnhill. Uh, coming back, and that's a that's a pretty good nucleus from which to start from. Uh, middle infield, Sophia Reynoso, Hannah Adams, uh, the freshman second baseman who did not commit an error this season. That's just an incredible achievement. You talk about uh, you have Jordan Matthews, the hero from the Texas A&M Super Regional with the walk-off home run to send the Gators back to Oklahoma City. Um, but in the bigger picture, you kind of wind it out. You got Jamie Hoover coming back, another another uh, player who maybe maybe found a I would say best collection of softball. Maybe of her career in terms of clutch hitting and what have you in the in this NCAA tournament, but they are going to have some holes to fill when you when you're talking about having to replace Alicia Casio, uh, Nicole Dewitt, Kaylee Cavistad, and somebody who maybe doesn't jump out at you but should Janelle Wheaton, the catcher who's just a tremendous tremendous player, just a tough player, and Florida doesn't have like obvious people to fill into uh, a lot of those spots, so. They're going to have to do some stuff with their uh, incoming freshman class, which, uh, again, Tim Walton did a good job with that. And there's going to have to develop some players. Uh, Jordan Roberts with those two pinch hit home runs, uh, uh, one in each game, the Georgia game, and then again in the UCLA game. She'll have a chance to win that catcher position next season. But Tim Walton said uh, uh, when I talked to him on the way back um, on the trip back home that, you know, she's got some work to do relative to um, improvements on defense and with her consistency. But, uh, all that stuff is going to end up uh, playing itself out, uh, you know, come the fall time as the Gators work up. And, and I think it's important to mention about Jordan Matthews. Remember, she showed up last year coming off a broken leg at the end of high school, and they don't really think that she ever got a chance to be 100% healthy. So this whole offseason and then next fall, maybe Jordan Matthews may be a player who really takes that next step as a as a power hitter and a, and a big-time uh, offensive player because uh, – Tim was saying that, you know, this, he needs the dynamic. He, he'd like to see, have a more dynamic offense. Like this wasn't like a slap bunt, uh, power hitting team by any stretch of the imagination. And obviously he'd like to have that to aid say Kelly Barnhill who gave up 21 home runs. A lot of them were solo home runs. And while she only lost uh, three games all season, two of them were at the college world series, maybe with some, some more run support, for example, in a two nothing loss to Oklahoma, maybe we're not having this conversation right now. So, uh, We'll see what happens, but um, they have the summer to do a little bit of work, and of course, the fall is when uh, Tim Walton really puts his his, uh, his team to work. So uh, I imagine they'll they'll just be reloading 
one thing that, that happens pretty much in every sport these days when you go to an off season is rumor mongering, especially with coaching. And Chris, we, we've gone we've gone down the line here. It used to be just football coaches you heard about, then obviously basketball coaches. Then in the last few years it was will Kevin O'Sullivan go to Clemson? Will Kevin O'Sullivan right. go to Virginia? You know, you start having baseball coaches getting in this. Now we've gone to the realm of softball coaches being talked about for big jobs and huge raises. And that came up at the World Series. Tim Walton was asked about uh, the ties to the Texas job, which is open, and rumors of Texas giving unheard of money. Uh, what do yes. we know about Tim Walton's future? By the way, I can't wait till like Crew is on uh, national <laughs> TV, and we have we have Crew uh, uh, ru- you know, coaching rumors. There'll be websites about it. Now, uh, people hopefully saw on our FloridaGators.com website, Tim Walton was given a ten-year uh, contract extension, so he's going to be at Florida for a long, long time. Um, he was asked about the Texas rumors after that Oklahoma game, and um, he didn't like the question at the time. He didn't think it was the forum for it, but he, they talked about his interest and the interest in him. He said, well, I don't know about my interest in them. And uh, whether it was interest or not, it doesn't really matter. The uh, University of Florida, the athletic department, the athletic associations has stepped up and they've uh, they gave Tim Walton a 10 year contract. And um, you roll in the, the 11 million dollar um, stadium renovation commitment. Uh, and this should put any kind of rest and should really be some, um, I would think some momentum for him going on the recruiting trail. Uh, he's going to be here a while. His family loves it here. Their, uh, their oldest son is going to Santa Fe, uh, community college to play baseball. Um, they've really raised their family here and now they're going to be here, uh, I think, uh, quite a, quite a bit longer and Florida has made a commitment to him and he's made a commitment back in their direction. So we know Tim Walton is going to be in Gainesville for a long time as the coach of the Gators. And someone who was a coach of the Gators for a very, very long time as well was Greg Choi, who announced his retirement earlier this year. And now, Scott, we found out who his replacements are going to be. Yeah, earlier this week, uh, Scott Strickland met with Anthony Nesty and Jeff Popple, uh, two guys who had the title of associate head coach under uh, Greg Troy and said, hey, we're going to. You know, basically, Anthony Nessie's taken over as head coach for the men's team, Popple as head coach for the women's team. And uh, it's a little different dynamic than they've had under Troy, where he, he led both programs in recent years. But Nessie and Popple are, are deeply invested in the program, both of them. Nessie, especially, has been with the Gators since 1998. Before that, he swam at Florida. Obviously, his biggest moment in sport was in 1988 Olympics when he won the gold medal in the 100 Butterfly by edging American Matt Biondi. Uh, he's been someone in the public spotlight in the, you know, college swimming, international swimming for most of his adult life. Uh, as has Popple. He's a former head coach at Arkansas of the women's program. And he's going to, uh, he joined the staff in 2016. He, uh, goes way back with Greg Troy was a former assistant of Troy's at Bowles High School in Jacksonville. And uh, the last couple of years really uh, helped with an uptick in the women's program. Uh, this is a, a team that, you know, two years ago didn't score a point at the NCAA finals. They got back on the board last year. And uh, with the, the classes that they've recruited the last couple of years, Popple's looking at some big things uh, in the coming uh, season. And Popple and the Nesty, one thing I'll tell you, Adam, is, they go back 30 years. I mean, these guys actually competed against each other back in the mid-80s uh, when Nesty swam for Greg Troy at Bowles and Popple was a young uh, swimmer at Episcopal High School in Jacksonville. So they've known each other for 30-plus years. 
Nasty comes to Florida. Popple goes to Georgia. They swam against each other in college. So Strickland basically, you know, he, he liked what they had within the program already. I mean, he, you know, the, there were other candidates, but he really liked the way the programs were going and feels that Nesty can continue what they've got going on the men's side. And he liked what Popple has uh, done on the women's side. And it's a neat story, uh, some continuity there. And I think it was well received by the team when the uh, official announcement came down. Moving on to our PAT, people were up in arms about the missed call at home plate that really turned the entire fate of the Women's College World Series and cost Florida a real chance to compete for a national title. And some said it was the worst thing they'd ever seen in their life, uh, and that was probably emotion and the recency bias, but it was pretty bad. So having said that, I'm curious from both of your standpoints, you guys have seen a lot of events, you've seen them live, you've seen them uh, from your childhood, you're both a little bit older than I am. Uh, I want to know the most egregious blown call that you have witnessed in your life. The first time I ever really remember getting really upset about a, a missed call. Nobody listening to this is probably going to remember this anyway because the game was so different. and there was, But it was a huge game for the NFC East uh, Championship in, I want to say it was 1974 or maybe 1973. And Jim Hart threw a pass to Mel Gray crossing the, the goal line. And Pat Fisher was the Redskin cornerback. And as a Redskin fan, that's what I was watching. And the ball hits him at the goal line. And Pat Fisher clearly knocks the ball out of his hands as he's, as he's rolling in the end zone. And they called it a touchdown. Gave the Cardinals the division. Cost the Redskins not just the division, but a playoff spot. And back then, that's, that's why I kind of remember people talking about, well, you have instant replay. Why can't you use instant replay in the game? And I just remember people talking about it. no one ever thought of what happened. But that's one of the one that comes to my mind. And then I, then as I fast forward decades or whatever, I just remember a play, Adam, and people will remember this one. There was a catch, and knowing you, you'll remember exactly when it was and who it was against. Where Calvin Johnson caught a ball in the end zone. That's right. Do you remember this? And he might as well have popped up and started doing a dance or something, and then the ball flopped out of his hand. And I know I'm exaggerating a little bit, but the guy caught the ball. Sure. That's the one. And I, I just remember that being out. How, how can we get this so wrong? And of course, Burt Manuel in the, for the Bucks in the, in the NFC championship game in 99. Um, obviously the Des Bryant play where now you have the advent of Twitter where people are saying, well, I, I've given up on what, what a catch is anymore. But hopefully the NFL will rectify that, um, this season with their new rules changes or what have you. But I just remember that Calvin Johnson play. Just saying, that if that's not a catch, then I don't think I've ever seen a football caught before, and that's the kind of one that resonates with me as much as any. Well, Adam, I I have to admit I'm a Cowboys fan, so I didn't <laughs> care much for those Redskins from the 1970s, so I didn't mind when a call went their way, quite frankly. <laughs> uh, but when it comes to uh, recent calls or calls that I I've uh, seen in person, let's well, I'll just start with one of the most blatant calls in esports. I've seen in recent years was the volleyball team's loss at Texas uh, a few years ago when an official who was in perfect position to make a call on a, on a ball, he called it out when it was clearly in and the Gators got basically, I mean, they got, they got ripped off and uh, they lost the match and a chance to go to the final four. And uh, it was a, it was one of those, is he really calling that out? And of course replay was instituted the next season in part because of that, that missed call. And, you know, you always hate to see 
calls that are so obviously wrong cost a team at the most important time of the season. And uh, that's why I'm glad to see, you know, instant replay uh, come into uh, effect, not only in professional sports, but college sports in recent years. Another one that I'm not going to have to elaborate on long, Adam, you're going to remember the swindle at the swamp, right? Florida sure. State. I mean, that was one that there was a series of calls that went against the Gators that, you know, Gator, you know, Florida fans are still talking about what ended up being a loss to Florida State. Uh, just one of those games where if you had instant replay back at the time, I'm uh, pretty sure a couple of those calls would be reversed. Um, but, that, you know, that's the way it goes. It didn't exist back then. But I'm glad to see some sports, you know, have it in now. And, you know, even in baseball, for instance, there was a couple of calls out in the Gainesville Regional that were kind of close and controversial. And people on Twitter were, you know, hitting me up like, well, why is it not instant replay? Well, in college baseball, for instance, it's they have it in the Super Regional and the College World Series, but they don't have it in the Regional Round. So with these sports being uh, more omnipresent than ever before because of the SEC Network and ESPN, I mean, nothing really, all these games are on TV now. There's nothing that is going to escape uh, scrutiny if you really have a erroneous call. And uh, I'm hoping that over time that all these plays will be under review, uh, regardless of the, the point of the postseason. But the one I think, Adam, that will stick out mostly, and this, you know, partly because this was when I was at my sports fan peak in the, when I was a teenager in the late 80s, mid 80s, the Royals, St. Louis, 1985 World Series, Don Dinkinger missing a call at first base against the Cardinals, uh, that basically sent St. Louis pitcher Joaquin Andahar into the, into the clubhouse. Uh, he destroyed it a toilet with a bat. That's how bad of a call it was. <laughs> <laughs> went against the Cardinals. The Royals win the game and they win the series in seven games. Uh, you know, it's one of those calls that stands out in sports infamy. Uh, certainly Major League Baseball history as one that would have been reversed if the instant replay had been in effect, you know, back then if the technology had been there. Uh, so I, I still remember to this day. Yeah, they call it the I-70 series, one that will... Uh, what is 30 33 years old if i got my math right yeah and we're still talking about it here so many examples to think of and look at look at baseball look at the perfect game that was taken away from armando garaga by a blown call by jim joyce if that happened a few years later garaga gets his perfect game because replay easily corrects that but wrong time wrong result and that's history so there's a lot you could certainly talk about changing if you went back and added replay to sports but unfortunately we uh we cannot do that what we can do is tell everyone to make sure to check out scott and chris and everything they've got going on scott more so than chris this weekend with baseball but they'll still both have content going up on floridagators.com and you can of course follow them on twitter at gators chris and at gators scott for all things gator baseball and the supers gentlemen thank you so much as always thanks adam Thank you, Adam. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Follow baseball as they battle Auburn in one of three All-SEC Super Regionals beginning on Saturday at noon on ESPN, then come back next week where we'll hopefully be discussing the Gators heading back to Omaha. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you at the MAC.